Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's up, Panther fans? It's your boy, Tony Dunn. It's the C3 Beat Check. That's right. Every Wednesday, we catch up with a beat writer from the Carolina Panthers and one from the opposing team. This week, we've got Eric Summers joining us from Cat Scratch Reader. Bring him on in just a moment. And then at 930, we've got Brandon Lee Gouten. Gouten. Gotten. Gouten. Gotten. Brandon Lee Gouten. Bleeding Green Nation. <laughs> so SB Nation thing here tonight, guys. Uh, so beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles to help us uh, preview this Philadelphia Eagles matchup. A lot of news to cover, breaking right on the end. Cody Lashley, my co-host. How you doing, my friend? Tony Dunn, we've had a great day, man. At the end of a big-time trade that Panther fans aren't too used to. Uh, we have another edition of the Beat Check, which I'm so excited about. We'll get some intel on the Carolina Panthers and the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, and we have some more content dropping a little bit later tonight as we do C3 Debate My Take. And I take Tony Dunn to task on some lists of debates that Panther Nation has put forward to all of us. Tony, I'm pumped. The chat room is already lit with all the usual suspects. And nothing to it but to do it, brother. Let's roll. Let's go ahead and bring in our guest, Cody Eric Summers, Cat Scratch Reader. Um, and I've been following your work for a long time. We've been uh, first. I've used. Uh, I've been reading Cat Scratch Reader since I was a little pup, little pup on the internet. Um, and uh, I guess one of the things I liked a lot that you did recently was after the Jets game. This dive into the ESPN analytics of how can we lose. Uh, but be better than them in these statistics. I don't understand. Anyway, Eric Summers, welcome to the C3 Beat Check. What's up, my man? I'm doing great tonight, guys. How are y'all doing? We're we're actually in a, a pretty good mood, given the fact that uh, the Dallas game was kind of, you know, get punched in the face. You got to, re, you know, we reorienting right now, but we got some cool news to talk about in that the Carolina Panthers today have been in on every possible trade imaginable. We have traded for more people and more picks in the last month, I feel like, than we have in the last eight years as the Carolina Panthers team. Today, we go out and acquire Stefan Gilmore for a six-round uh, pick. And uh, even if we don't, if he leaves the Carolina Panthers next year, uh, where we don't re-sign him, a lot of people are saying that we're going to get a fifth-round comp pick for him. So basically, we got Stefan Gilmore for a pick somebody gave us an extra round pick to get this guy what do you think about this acquisition today absolute steal i mean there's no other way to put it right i mean a sixth round pick that's basically the biggest lottery ticket there is besides a seventh round pick and if that means i'm getting a player of the caliber of stefan gilmore for 10 games ish nine or 10 games 
uh, that's totally worth it. They eat all the guaranteed money as well. Uh, his cap hit's only going to be about five and a half mil this year. You know, if we're going to really make a run at this thing and we needed to find a way to replace what we're missing with a horn right now, this is the guy. This is the way to do it. Bring in a fellow Gamecock. Bring in somebody who can help C.J. Henderson learn. Uh, we've got a ridiculous – our healthy corner core right now is the craziest list of names I think I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> A.J. Boye, C.J. Henderson, J.C. Horn, Dante Jackson, and now Stephon Gilmore – that is a dime package that will absolutely terrify any wide receiver group. I don't care who it is. Nightmare fuel, dare I say. Absolutely. I mean, it's, 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 I think you pointed out in the intro, we're not used to this. We're not used to our team making smart, aggressive moves in season and ones that make sense from a capital perspective. We haven't overpaid for anybody. We've underpaid for just about everybody. It's pretty yeah. impressive what Scott Fitterer has done, I think. Yeah, and to the point where it's just kind of hard for me to believe. Like, I'm not even used to uh, looking at this type of news, like, uh, for, for throughout the week, is that when I when I hear a cornerback getting hurt, I'm, like, already thinking about, like, well, how is this team going to put in Rashad Melvin and whatever we're going to do and try to move somebody around? And the idea that we're going to get – We've gone and got more than one player on top of that. We went and, you know, the, uh, that we weren't just done last week with C.J. Henderson. I thought the C.J. Henderson move was um, kind of showing us in a new light or right in a kind of, hey, we got to do something right now. No no reason in waiting and seeing that, what we can figure out. Let's go ahead and do what we think we should do. And then they kept after it today. So, I mean, I am floored. I don't know. I hope it's good. And what I mean by that is I think you you hit the nail on the head, Eric, is that like, hey, these aren't going to financially uh, destroy us. We're not we haven't given away a lot of picks. It's not like we're mortgaging the future or mortgaging the future financially either. Uh, so right now it's like a just why wouldn't you? It's almost like an interest free loan. Like, just take it. <laughs> just take uh, it. It's interesting to me, in my opinion. We're almost doing a better version of what the Rams are doing. So we we all know the Rams don't have first-round pick for basically ever. Um, we're doing the same thing they're doing. We're using draft capital to acquire known talent, but we're also not giving away any first-round picks. It's really hard to argue with that. Uh, that still gives us that chance to draft a first-round guy, our highest possible chance to get somebody who turns into an all-pro. But – we're using second rounders, third round. I mean, anything else is pretty much, there's a huge drop off once you go past the first round and trading a third for CJ Henderson, who was a first round pick one year ago that we know was pissed. He was in ja in Jacksonville. That's a great move. Six round pick for at worst a nine to 10 game rental on Stefan Gilmore and uh, some money that will not cost us anything long-term. That's brilliant. Uh, and then we get first dibs at re-signing him. So it's hard to argue with anything that they've done. I'm truly impressed with what Scott Federer, Matt Rule, that whole building has done. Eric, what do you think this says for the future of Dante Jackson on this football team? He's in a big contract year. Uh, he's obviously going to be a very important part of this team going forward this year, no doubt about it. But knowing that uh, J.C. Horn, C.J. Henderson, and now Stephon Gilmore – that these guys really are those outside cornerbacks. Two of them are now on rookie deals, and one of them was the best defensive player in the NFL in 2019. 
what do you think this says for Dante Jackson? And do you know Scott Fitterer is saying that yeah, they're already trying to you know crunch the numbers and make sure they have the necessary funds for Dante Jackson. But you know we know that coaches and GMs can kind of say things just to move from one moment to the next. Where do you believe the future for Dante Jackson is on this football team? And did either of these trades, be it C.J. Henderson or Stephon Gilmore, did either of those impact that future? Well, I think C.J. Henderson impacts that future. Uh, We're talking about him. We have him basically for two years, three years if we want it with his fifth-year option. Um, That's a guy who's younger than Dante, who is theoretically based on draft position, Uh, more talented than Dante was. However, I think we're seeing Dante Jackson play the best football he's ever played this year. I would say his coverage skills have improved, but beyond that, his skill uh, at wrapping up and making a sound tackle, which used to be a weakness for him. uh, I have watched him fly up to that line right there at the edge, meet the running back right as they're around in the corner and stick him. Uh, I don't think I've really seen him miss a tackle, maybe one or two. Uh, he's drastically improved. I think psychologically him being made a captain really helped him step up. Uh, might be something he's never done before. Uh, I think you want to keep as many people as you can. You don't know what Stefan Gilmore is going to want as far as the salary goes if we want to re-sign him. So nowadays in the NFL, you really need three really good corners, right? Uh, you need that, especially now with guys like CeeDee Lamb in the league. You're talking about 4-2 four, three guys. Dante Jackson is one of the few DBs that can match that speed. So I don't think it necessarily says anything for the future future of Dante Jackson. If anything, it'll motivate him to keep playing as well as he, as he has. Do you think Stefan Gilmore could potentially play his way into another contract this year? If he plays anywhere near his, uh, his best seasons for the Patriots, if, if he has anywhere near that level of play, do you think it's a possibility that, you know, he might even take a home count discount to stay here. I mean, after all, he is neighbors with Scott Fitterer. We found that out today. So, well, I mean, what do you think the chances are that Stephon Gilmore is potentially a part of the long-term plans? I think there's a decent chance. I mean, when you look at it from a roster perspective, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense just because we have so many young options at corner. However, like you said, USC Gamecock, lives you know grew up in rock hill south carolina lives down the street from scott fitterer laying low you know he's later in his career at this point he's made his money uh he doesn't necessarily need to take more money just for the comfort of having it you know he can he can trade and say i want to be close to home with my family while still playing for a contender and i think he's looking at us and saying this is a young team that's about to be a serious threat in this league for years to come I think he would consider a hometown discount, quote unquote, to play for this area where he's already regarded as a semi-hero and then gets to stay close to his family. It makes total sense to me. This past week, the Carolina Panthers fell to the Dallas Cowboys uh, in another third quarter route, 20-something points or 20 points unanswered in the third quarter. Could have been more if we wouldn't have. I mean, they almost got another two-point conversion there. Um the Panthers' offensive line, though, throughout this issue, throughout this uh, four games of the season, has been um, a work in progress, as Matt Rule has referred to it. And today, that work in progress continued as Cam Irvin did not practice, 
after i mean he's been been banged up for a couple of weeks now might even go back to week one against the maybe it's the saints game week two or something like that either way uh brady christensen taking snaps trent uh trent scott taking snaps at left tackle can you tell us what you your thoughts on the panthers offensive line now and what it what it's going to be like throughout this season I think it's going to resemble last year a lot. I mean, we were pretty good on the right side last year. We obviously know what Taylor Moten is, uh, but he honestly, he hasn't been that impressive to me this year. He's been a little above average when we're paying him top five tackle money. Uh, Maybe a product of the uncertainty that's been next to him. John Miller played hurt last week. Uh, He got hurt in the Houston game. So apparently he's been nursing a shoulder injury, but playing through it. Uh, Matt Paradis has been average to below average since we got him we definitely didn't get what we were thinking we were getting in him uh left guard dennis daly probably is our best left guard at this point i think pat elflines lost the job for good uh due to injury but also the fact that since he's been gone daly's been better than he was when he was starting left tackle the constant problem it's been ever since jordan gross retired uh we only had a small reprieve with michael orr for one year and then that was uh the carousel started anew but here's the good news trent scott last year played better than cam irving has so far this year uh i would say that trent scott had a pretty you know better than what you would expect from a trent scott um last season and i think if cam irving has to sit and trent scott has to come in i don't think we're necessarily any worse i don't know how much better we are but he does have experience he did play okay filling in last year. And then when you think about the possibility of Christensen starting, my only, I think he's built to be a left tackle. I disagree with anybody who says he can't do it. I don't, I hate the arm length argument. I think it is hogwash. I have never heard anything about arm length in all the time that I ever played football until I started reading NFL scouting reports. He can play tackle, but the question is as a rookie, will the game be too fast for him? Because it's usually too fast for every tackle in their first season, unless your name is Joe Thomas. You really just hit on one. I love your answer. You've been hitting on something that I've been saying for a long time. I think the arm length thing is so overblown. It wasn't an issue for Joe Thomas. It it wasn't an issue for a lot of really good tackles in the NFL. I don't know why they keep on having this stupid discussion about arm length. My theory is, is that if I don't see it be an issue on film, I shouldn't assume that it's going to be an issue going forward. My question to you is this, and you kind of mentioned it in your answer. It's about those rookies and the mistakes that rookies might make. Um, I've been saying on the podcast that I will die on this hill that the answer to the Panthers' offensive line woes is already on the roster in the forms of Brady Christensen and Deontay Brown. And my question to you is this. What's your hypothesis on why the Panthers refuse to give Brady Christensen and Deontay Brown more action? Is it solely because they're rookies and they just don't trust them to be up to speed? Do you think that maybe they've just seen something in practice that we haven't that causes them to not have a lot of trust in them, especially after today when Federer pretty much said that they inquired about offensive linemen and they weren't even interested in trading backups. So 
what do you make of Brady Christensen and Deontay Brown? And what, what do you think that their future is this year for the Carolina Panthers? I think, quite frankly, when you're talking about rookies, and especially on the offensive line, and especially when you're talking about tackles. Now, Deontay Brown, I think it's very possible that he could play this year. Uh, the jump from college guard, especially playing at Alabama, where you're facing top competition, to NFL guard, not that big. And Deontay Brown is not a guy you're going to ask to do a lot of pulling. He is slow, but as the Twitter meme suggests, the dude is blastoise. Okay. He is absolutely, when he's squatting in that two point stance, he looks yeah. just like it. He just needs a couple water cannons, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> you can't move him backward. And he's definitely going to move you backward. It's, he's one of the few people that in college I ever saw stood up to Derek Brown and yes. was frustrating Derek Brown in college. Uh, I don't, here's the problem. I don't think Deontay Brown is a left guard because your left guard usually does pull a lot more often. We know he's limited athletically. Who knows if he's gotten a little bit more nimble on his feet because he is playing lighter now than he was in college. But I don't think he's your left guard. Uh, I think Brady Christensen could be a left tackle in time. But as I said, I can't remember. Uh, I mean, Panay Sewell's done a pretty good job, right? And we figured he was an athletic freak. He probably could make that jump in his first year. But it's tough. Like, it, the list of left tackles as rookies that have been even moderately successful in the NFL, very slim. Uh, I don't blame them for looking at Trent Scott as the primary backup and playing Trent Scott just because he does have some chemistry with the other offensive linemen and does have some NFL experience. That said, eventually the rookie has to, we have to figure out if he can do it in game action. So offensive linemen get hurt. This kind of thing happens. I do think Brady Christensen is eventually going to get his shot. And we should definitely remember as fans, it may not be pretty. In fact, it may be bad, but we're going to look back at that tape later to see what did he do right? Is he getting his pass splits correct? Is he playing with good leverage? Is he able to defend the outside? Is he fast enough to meet up with the best edges in the NFL? Uh, that's what we're going to look at. He may give up a sack or two, but the problem with being an offensive lineman, and I've been there, people only notice you when you screw up. So it's really, really easy. It's so, it's so easy to dog on the offensive line when it's not quite as bad as you think. Yeah. Your thoughts on uh, Sam Darnold uh, for, you know, we got a quarter of the season uh, out of the way, um, you know, as our second quarterback with uh, Matt Rule. Um, I feel like they went out and, I mean, they ripped the Band-Aid off of Teddy Bridgewater and said they got it wrong. Well, we've had lots of debates of who got it wrong. If this was a Tepper to move on, Tepper wanted to move on from Teddy, who truly did. But they didn't hold on to Teddy um beyond just one year and they moved on to sam darnold i feel like uh, they hitched their wagon to sam darnold your thoughts on him uh in his first four games as a carolina panther well i would already say that he was definitely worth that worth that uh second round pick right i mean you can't argue with the results uh the the funny thing is the five rushing touchdowns right who who, who expected that who expected <laughs> sam darnold to run the read option who expects him to do a lot in quarterback draw? Uh, I think it just kind of points to how the fact the fact that he's always been athletic, but the Jets really, I don't think, had a concept of how to use him. And even if they did, 
they didn't surround him with anything. It's one thing if your offensive line sucks. The Jets have a bad offensive line. We also have a mediocre to poor offensive line. But if your receivers can get open, if you have an amazing outlet like Christian McCaffrey, you can mitigate that. Um, I think the difference between him and Bridgewater is clear. When that ball leaves Sam Darnold's hand, it is a frozen rope. And with Teddy Bridgewater, it is a, you know, it's it's skeet shooting. You could fire that thing right out of the air with a shotgun, no problem. Uh, it, it just looks like a good ball. And I think we already have five or six throws that Darnold has made this year where you just have to look at it and say, wow, he just did that. I mean, he's fit some tight windows to some guys on difficult throws, cross-body throws on out patterns when he's not headed in the same direction. Uh, it's been impressive. And he's made some big throws while being hit or under heavy duress, which tells me that the whole ghost seeing thing, the stuff that people were worried about, David Carr syndrome, whatever you want to call it, that was a product of his situation that he felt wasn't getting better. I think he now sees in Carolina, his situation is constantly getting better. And we're seeing the Sam Darnold that the Jets hoped they could get, but weren't prepared to bring out. You know what, what I mean? the hell's going on in the third quarter then? That's that's the hard one for me. And I think that is something that Joe Brady should be asked in every single head coaching interview he ever gets because we clearly have not adjusted. And Matt Rule too. I mean, both of them. All, the entire, you know, Phil Snow, Matt Rule, Joe Brady all need to be asked what's going on with the third quarter. We've only seen one good third quarter, and that was against the Texans. But all other, all the others, what have we been outscored? Something like forty-five to, like I think seventeen even if you or something. Texans forty-five to twenty, something like yeah. that. Yeah, not good. Um, it's bad. I mean, it goes all the way back to last year. Um, and when you look at it, you're like, gosh, is this really? Uh, and and uh, you, don't, it's not just one thing. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Like the that's what's so perplexing about these third quarters is that, like it's like a. Uh, it's all types of things are going wrong, right? Is that like the pass is just off. The play call is just, I mean, it's not one, it's not the offensive line every time. It's not the quarterback every time. It's not the receiver. The quarterback makes a good throw. The receiver drops it. And it's just like a third quarter funk. Um, How does Joe Brady fix it? I think he has to start watching what other teams across the league do in the third quarter and try to discern what the difference in their game plan has been from what it was prior to halftime versus what they try to do after halftime. And the problem is he doesn't have anybody on staff that can help him with that. He is a second-year NFL coach. Matt Rule is a second-year NFL coach. Phil Snow is a second-year NFL coach. None of them have the experience to say, here's what I think the other team's going to adjust right now, so let's see if we can head them off at the pass and adjust to their proposed adjustment. Um, they're learning on the job just as much as anybody else. Uh, if it were me, I would consider bringing in one of these, you know, like quality control coordinators, uh, consultant type deals, somebody who's been a successful offensive coordinator in the past, who maybe doesn't want the role anymore, but wouldn't mind being around a football team on Sundays to where he can help weigh in on what adjustments need to be made. I think that's a simple fix. I think it's something that'll help Brady kind of learn the mindset that he needs to succeed in the third quarter. And I think it could benefit Matt Rule as well. 
I feel like all the opposing teams just go into halftime and say, all right, they're beating our tail. The Panthers are beating our tail. They beat us up for the first two quarters. We got to do something. And then they just blitz and blitz and blitz in the third quarter. And it's just like an onslaught. I mean, the Jets did it. The set, you know, like everybody, we've been ahead at the half every single game this year. And it really just feels like their defense just says uh, they're, they're just daring us to beat them in the third quarter and just sending the dogs after us. Is that just me as a fan looking at it and just feeling like we're under, like under a siege in the third quarter or are these guys dialing up against us in the third quarter? Well, I think the reality is they're dialing up because most of them have been behind. I mean, so the the thing that we're not necessarily thinking about, they probably went in with a game plan. Nobody really plans for failure in the NFL. They went in with a game plan to play based on the idea that they might be ahead. They've been behind in just about every, well, they've been behind in every case so far. But when that happens, you come out in the third quarter saying, okay, the first, the first half sucked and we need to turn things around. And what we're going to do, we're going to take some risks and we're going to send blitzes. And it works against us because quite frankly, we're not that good at picking up blitzes. I mean, it's not that anybody really is, right? A blitz is supposed to make things hard, but when you see our guys, like when you see Matt Paradis get his body in front of a blitzer, Mm. and it's like he's not even there. He just immediately gets, it's like watching dust get swept across the floor. I've never (laughs) seen somebody so quickly give ground in my entire life. It's I've been saying this, Eric. I've been very critical of Matt Paradis. I don't think he's lived up to the the billing that he was given by PFF and other outlets since he's been here in Carolina. I think, yeah, I think he really struggles with initiating contact. And I would say that's a problem that our entire left side of the line struggles with. I don't think Taylor or John Miller struggle with it. None of them seem to be anxious to make the first move. They all let people come to them. Now, pass blocking is that somewhat. But when a guy gets within a certain radius of you, your hand should be out there and you should initiate the contact. Because if they initiate contact, you're naturally going to go backward. If they're about to make a move and you give them a solid punch with your left hand or whatever it may be, that's going to disrupt whatever move they think they're about to make. I don't know if they've been taught to do this. I don't know if this is a... I know I'm not as good as this guy, and I'm just going to try to make sure I don't get flat out beat. But it really makes no sense to me. I have never seen a bunch of guys, even when they don't give up a sack or a pressure, end up so close to the quarterback every single time. Should we see Christian McCaffrey this? Do you want Christian McCaffrey to play this week? Or do you think he should against the Eagles? I mean, you have to let the doctors decide that, but. Uh, I know hamstrings are things that easily re-injure. If I'm Matt Rule, I tell him no. Uh, I mean, I, yes. I I would love to play him against the Eagles because he'll be key to winning against the Eagles. But if him getting one more week of rest means that he's better for the rest of the season, uh, I think we saw him practice today as a test. I think today was a, how's it responding? Let's give you a limited practice and see what happens. Tomorrow is going to be the big telling point if he practices at all, we'll know he's probably going. If he doesn't practice, we know he's probably not going. Because uh, I think it really was just seeing where he was at yesterday. Or today, rather. 
Yeah. What keys do you what's what's on your mind going into this Philly game? What do you want to learn about the Panthers after uh, this Cowboys game? Um, you know, we've been arguing for d- days among Panther fans if this is a blip on the radar, if this is a win that's going to uh, chisel us into a better team, if this is exposing real weaknesses on the team. What do you want to see? What's on your mind uh, from the kind of reporter side going into this game against Philly? Anger. I want to see these guys be angry that they just got shut yeah, out. Like when I say shut out, they didn't get a sack. That is something that that is a point of pride for them. They have got to be in that defensive meeting room trying to figure out what happened. Why did we try to, why did we decide to play Dallas differently than we decided to play the first three teams that we played? It's the same reason why I hate teams going into soft zone and prevent defenses. If it worked the entire game, let it keep working. Stop falling back into three-man rushes. If you've been getting to the quarterback the whole game, keep getting to the quarterback. Um, I think this defense has a lot of pride, and I think they're going to take it personally that they gave up as many points as they did this week. And I want to see them respond in a way that says, Jalen Hurts, we know you're mobile. We don't care. Brian Burns is just as fast as you. Hassan Reddick is just as fast as you. Um, it's If there's any team that has the speed to contain Jalen Hurts, it's us. And I want to I want to see us decisively come in and say the first three weeks are who we are. The Dallas game was an outlier, and we have learned from that. And we're going to show you that we are the dominant defense that we proved we are the first three weeks of the season. That's what I want to see. I love your answers, man. And the people in the chat room are loving your answers too. A lot of people hate the prevent defense, and they definitely think our defense should be a lot angrier coming out this weekend against Philadelphia. Um, I I, uh, I wanted to 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 get your take on this. Um, do do you think that that game against the Cowboys was that an indictment on our defense, or did we just go up against a good team? Like, is it reasonable that the Panthers should bounce back in a big way against Philly? I think so. I mean, so here's the reality of the Dallas Cowboys. We hate to admit it because they're the Dallas Cowboys. All of us have a Dallas Cowboys fan that we can't stand to be around. I think that's just something that every football fan has to deal with throughout the entire United States. We all have that guy in the offense office that's a Cowboys fan that we can't wait to go by, throw something on his desk and say, how about that Cowboys loss this weekend? Uh, But the truth is they're winners right now. They're a good team with a great offensive line they came in with a plan to beat us they came in healthier than we were and they won uh it's it's not it's not unbelievable that we lost to the dallas cowboys i think that their team is built as a competitor more so than we are now but it's hard to stomach that we played as poorly defensively and how many running yards we gave up against the dallas cowboys we let ezekiel elliott look like vintage Christian McCaffrey. Like, you know, we, we made him look like the best running back that's ever, 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 ever played the game. I couldn't remember a single game where he didn't get at least, a single run where he didn't get at least five yards. Uh, as much as I hate it, the game has changed. There's less of a focus on running the football, but running the football still helps with all the things that you do in the passing game. We rely on it. We, we run a ton of play action. Dallas run a ton of play action against us. And it works when you're getting gouged in the running game. So Zach Martin did a number on us last week. He's an amazing guard. 
he cleared some serious holes. But I don't think the Eagles have that caliber of player as consistently across their offensive line. So I believe that we lost to Dallas. I don't believe that our defense is going to look the same way they did against Dallas this week. All right, great stuff. Eric Summers from Cat Scratch Reader jumping into the beat the beat check with the C3 Panthers podcast. Eric, thanks for your time. Tell them how they can find you on social media. Sure thing. My social media handle is at Tater596. That's at T-A-T-E-R-596. And Cat Scratch Reader's on Twitter as well. The only thing you need to do is drop the last E, so it's Cat Scratch Reader without the last E. Fantastic stuff, man. We're awesome going to get stuff, you back man. on the show. Uh, and, man, uh, good luck to the Panthers, right? Keep pounding. Um, let's go ahead and bring in our next guest, Cody Lassie. Thanks, Eric. We've got Brandon Lee Gowton from uh, Bleeding Green Nation. Um, go ahead and bring him up. Brandon, welcome to the C3 Panthers podcast. It's the Beat Check. How you doing? Doing good. Thanks for having me, guys. Man, we appreciate it. We're uh, getting ready for this Philadelphia Eagles matches. The the Carolina Panthers are in a spot very similar to the Eagles were last week, and that is, man, we just got our tails whooped by the Dallas Cowboys, and it doesn't feel great. Uh, You guys had a tough uh, matchup. I guess it was was at home, right? Kansas City came to you guys, um, and uh, I would say showed a lot of fortitude uh, for the the Philadelphia Eagles coming off a tough loss to Dallas. uh, Gave you know, went out there and they didn't roll over to the Kansas City Chiefs. And I feel like that's an easy team to get kind of starstruck by. Yeah, early in the fourth quarter, I believe the Eagles were only down five, like 28 to 23 game. And uh could have been a closer game if the Eagles weren't settling for red zone field goals uh, in the game. And also, the Eagles had 21 points come off the board, or at least three touchdowns, I should rephrase it, uh, due to penalties. So um, there were some encouraging signs in terms of maybe you can build on this. I mean, the Eagles took advantage of a very, very bad Chiefs defense. Only think the Falcons defense is worse than the Chiefs defense right now. Um, so that's an encouraging wow. sign, but it's all about building on it. Go ahead, Cody. Yeah, let me ask you a little bit about this uh, about this Eagles defense. You know, I feel like the offense gets so much talk, you know, with Devontae Smith and Jalen back there at quarterback. But my, my question to you is, what does this defense really look like? What are its deficiencies? And where do you think Philadelphia might actually be able to have some good matchups against Carolina? So one of the best things I feel about with the Eagles right now, and one of the few things I feel like really, really good about this team that's now one and three after three straight losses is Javon Hargrave. Um, you know, Fletcher Cox gets a lot of uh, hype and attention, obviously all pro, probable player. Everyone knows his name, but he really hasn't been making a big impact this year. And that's kind of a concern I have, but someone who is playing uh, really well, showing up in a big way, is Javon Hargrave. He already has five sacks through four games. His career high is 6.5, so he's really on on pace for a career year. Uh, Really just a a big threat in the interior. So I think he could give some problems uh, to the Panthers' offensive line here. When I look at the defense as a whole, though, and the concerns, I mean, they're coming off two games where they gave up 40 points. So that's a big concern. And I think not only just the final result, but how they did it, the Eagles are running a defense here under Jonathan Gannon where they really kind of just they sit back and they prevent the big play. They've been very good at doing that. But T. 
teams are kind of having their way running the ball on this team or throwing things short at will. They're just taking advantage of all the cushion that the Eagles are giving them. And I get that stopping big plays is important, but if you're just going to allow teams to kind of just march down the field at will time after time, I mean, you know, that's to be some kind of balance there. And, and they, that hasn't been struck in the past two weeks. Are you, uh, does Derek Barnett frustrate you? <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> yes, he does. Uh, Derek, Derek Barnett. Uh, I believe might have more penalties than sacks. So not really what you want out of a first round pick. I liked him coming out of college, but so many like, Panther fans wanted Derek Barnett. I know. But it just hasn't, it's just been one. It feels like every time I hear Eagles fans talk, it's just like frustrating personal foul after personal foul with him. It really is. He just had one against the Chiefs, and I mean, it's not just him in that the Eagles have the most penalties in the NFL, and by far, like the Eagles have 44 penalties in their first four games here. The Tampa Bay Bucks are second. They have 34, so 10 fewer penalties in second place. I mean, the Eagles are just an undisciplined team. I think that might be a result of the coaching staff being so young and new. Like Nick Sirianni is never a head coach at any level before he became the head coach of the Eagles. Also, was never a play caller at any level. So you have that. Uh, Jonathan Gannon, first-time defensive coordinator. A lot of these assistant coaches are like the first time in their roles. So there's a lot of inexperience here in the coaching staff. And I think you're kind of seeing that show up and uh, maybe no more frustrating though, than the Derek Burnett penalties, because it's like, that's not even, you know, he's been in the league for multiple years now. This isn't a rookie. Like he should know better. Yeah. He's making, right. he's playing a contract year too. Like that's the other part. Like you would think he'd want to be playing smarter than this, but he's just not. Yeah. Is Nick, but, uh, do you think that Nick Sirianni has the best processes in the league? Isn't that what, what he said? In it? Do you remember his uh, uh, his okay. opening press conference? Like, he was like, "I don't know, but we're going to have the most superb processes <laughs> in this process. My my process process is going to be superior to everybody. Um, they look like children out there. Some of these coaches. In fact, your D coordinator looks like he just ate chicken nuggets for lunch." <laughs> Uh, no, not good processes, I would say, because again, <laughs> kind of touching on what I did earlier at the Chiefs, like if you're kicking field goals in the red zone against Kansas City, you're not going to win that game. I can guarantee you, you are not going to win that game because the Chiefs are going to go down. They're going to score points at will. You need to go for it. Be aggressive to give yourself those chances. And the Eagles didn't do that. Now, there were some issues there in terms of like not getting a play call in or whatever. And but, like all that is also coaching issues as well. Like there's, there's just too much game mismanagement from Nick Sirianni in addition to kind of being not as aggressive as you would like to see. What you want from a head coach, I think at like a very basic level, like putting the play calling aside, is like where does the coach give the team an edge? And Nick Sirianni is not giving this team an edge. If anything, he's holding them back right now. Hmm. Wow. I wanted to ask you uh, real quickly about Jalen Hurts. Uh, is he a, an upgrade over Carson Wentz and what he had done previously for Philadelphia? And, uh, I mean, I kind of feel like the Eagles – and to be honest, it's been the Eagles, the Dolphins, and the Panthers. We've been a part of this never-ending story that doesn't seem to go away surrounding Deshaun Watson. And we all know the Philadelphia Eagles have enough trade power to be able to go and get Deshaun Watson. The Dolphins remain interested. And our owner and even our GM, given all the moves that we've been making recently, they want to win right now. David Tepper spent $2.5 billion on the football team, and he's tired of waiting around for, an for a return on his investment. Do you think Jalen Hurts, to this point, has played enough and showed enough 
to be a starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, or is he on a really, really short leash? I think he's on a short lease, and I think that was the case heading into the year. I, I was consistent with that. Like, I think the bar that he has to clear to become the Eagles' long-term starting quarterback is very high. And that might be kind of like someone could argue it's unfair. I think it's fair from the standpoint of like you want to shoot for an elite quarterback. It's not just about yeah. finding a guy you like and is kind of decent, like kind of like with the Panthers last year, like Teddy Bridgewater. Like Teddy Bridgewater like isn't terrible but he's not a guy who's going to help you win a championship probably yeah and I, I think Jalen Hurts might be better than like a Teddy Bridgewater but I think he might be a little bit in that class of maybe like a Teddy or like a Tyrod Taylor uh one of these or even like a Kirk Cousins like best case like just one of these guys who like they're, they're going to be good enough it's arguably the worst spot to be or right? they're good enough where you're not going to move on from them but they're they're bad enough that they're going to not help you get over the top. So I think you might kind of be stuck in the middle with him. I don't think the Eagles will settle for that though, because as you mentioned, like they have these assets right now. If the season ended today, which it doesn't, they would have three picks in the top nine. So I don't think they're just sitting tight there and saying, "Oh, Jalen Hurts is good enough." Three picks in the top nine. Three picks Holy in the top shit. nine right now. So and you know that'll that'll is this possibly- all from the Colts deal. So there's the one from the Colts deal, and that's conditional. And I think you know. If the Colts continue to be really bad, I think they're just going to bench Carson Wentz at a certain point, so they protect that pick, make it a second rounder instead of a first, because he has to play seventy five percent of the snaps for it to be a first. Uh-huh. And uh, the other one is the Miami pick, and that one might just be good because the Dolphins aren't looking great. So uh, unless they get Deshaun Watson, which is you know totally changes the equation. So a lot of moving pieces here, but I think Hertz has a high bar to clear, and I think he's shown some encouraging signs, especially coming off this Chiefs game. I think it might have been the best game of his career. But like, if the team isn't winning and he is not looking like uh, if there's any kind of this is the way I phrased it before the season. If Jalen Hurts leaves any doubt at all, any any doubt, then I think the Eagles are going to move on from him. Yeah, what do you think I, they should do? I think they need to invest in an elite quarterback. I don't think they can settle. I like Jalen Hurts a lot. It's I have nothing like against him. I think he's a great leader, but I think his talent when it comes to, like you're talking about arm talent and everything and the accuracy and the throwing power, all that, I just don't know that he has that. I think he's a really nice, solid player. I think he's shown you he can start games in the NFL. I think he can be a very high-quality number two or a lower kind of tier number one. But I don't think he's a guy that's leading you to championships. He's not like you know a guy who's going to be the foundation of a dynasty. And that, to me, should be the ultimate goal. Are you surprised you're having this kind of – or that the Philly – the Eagles are having to have this conversation about quarterback. Um, I mean, I feel like if we just rewound the clock five years, you know, that's what you guys went and did with Carson Wentz. Right. And that was the thought is that this is going to be the top elite talent quarterback. You go and win a Super Bowl. It wasn't with Wentz. You got Peterson who still, I've I've never seen uh, people get run out of town faster than people in Philly right now. They won Super Bowls and they can't even stick around. Well, yeah, and obviously, I think I've I've made it clear um, on my channels that I'm, I'm very uh, there are bigger there are issues here bigger than the coaching and the GM does not get enough nearly enough heat as he should Harry Roseman for a lot of the Eagles' decline since the Super Bowl and really hasn't taken any accountability for it in terms of punishment or anything. So uh, that's always frustrating uh, to see. But yeah, I mean, it, it is surprising in the sense that like a year ago around this time. You know, I, I thought I still thought Carson Wentz 
or maybe not so much at this point because he was struggling, but you know, like not too long ago, uh, going into last season, very much still thought Carson Wentz was going to be the franchise quarterback here for years to come, and he and he didn't, and thought Doug Peterson was going to be around for quite a bit, and he's now he's not. So that's the kind of just the NFL though. Things change, I think, quicker than you might expect, and uh, I don't think the Eagles are really showing quite yet that they're trending in a good way. There's hope. There's you know there's hope that these guys like Nick Sirianni and Jalen Hurts and everyone can improve. But to me, that's far from guaranteed. You can't just look at these struggles that they're having and saying, well, these are growing pains. I mean, they might be, but they could also be signs of more bad things to come. What do the Philadelphia Eagles fans feel about this team this year? Do they have a chance to be viable uh, in, in the NFC East? So for example, last year after moving on from, you know, Cam Newton and Greg Olson and Luke Keithley retiring, you know, and then Teddy Bridgewater being who Teddy Bridgewater was. We won't rehash that at this time. But, hmm. you know, Panther fans never really felt at any point last year like we were a team that wasn't going anywhere or doing anything. Many people wanted a new quarterback in the draft. It just, we, you know, we didn't feel like it was going to be our year. Matt Rule's first year, all that jazz. My question to you is, what do Philadelphia Eagles fans feel about this season? Because us Panthers, we're feeling good, man. We're 3-1. and one. We had some big wins, a tough loss to Dallas. But ultimately, we feel good about where we are and the trades that we've made. And we think that we can be a playoff team this year. Do Eagles fans feel the same? Or are they just kind of counting down the days until something happens in this Deshaun Watson case? It's a good question. Uh, I think the expectations were set by the owner, Jeffrey Lurie, right after last season and said, we're heading into a quote unquote like transition period. And he compared it to where the Eagles were back in 2016 when Carson Wentz was a rookie and Doug Peterson was in his first year as head coach. So that expectation has kind of been laid out by the team. Now, I think at the same time, they entered the season kind of thinking slash hoping they can compete in an NFC East that on paper like isn't a juggernaut and they have a chance to compete in the division, but I don't think at any point they consider themselves division favorites or they're necessarily all in. Uh, it's not an all in kind of year for them. Like it is for most years for most teams. Um, so I think they're kind of in a little bit of a realistic place with it from that sense. And from a fan standpoint, you know, I don't think fans like to hear that because I think you want to think your team has a chance to win it all every year. But I do think there's a touch of realism with everyone. They know, again, that this is not anything like a Super Bowl favorite. And, you know, I think expectations got adjusted a little bit when the Eagles come out week one. They kick the tar out of the Falcons and they blow them out in their own stadium. But we've since seen that, you know, the Falcons aren't very good. And we've also seen that the Eagles have a lot of issues of their own and they weren't going to just kind of continue to roll teams like they did in week one. So uh, I think this this game actually in week five is very kind of telling for the rest of the season. If the Eagles win this game, they bump up to two and three. It's like, all right, we're still in the mix here. Maybe we can make a wild card. Maybe we can kind of make the we can even if we don't win the NFC East, maybe we can kind of make it close, take it down to the wire. But I mean, if you drop to one and four, and then the Eagles get the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Thursday night football next, yeah. and you're looking at one and five, and then I think you have to travel, they're gonna have to travel out to play the Raiders in Las Vegas after that. You, you know, you could easily see one and six happening. So things quick, yeah, it can get <laughs> ugly quick if they don't win this game. And this game is really crucial, I think, in telling us about like what this team is going to be like the rest of the season. I feel like Eagle fans, though, kind of are more lighthearted this year than I'm accustomed to them being. Like, and that is that the team's kind of fun. 
they're putting the, the the games are you know got a lot of points in them. Uh, they didn't think you were, you didn't think you were going to be that good anyway. So it's kind of like house money. Um, so I mean, usually I'm used to the Eagles fans being so ridiculously crazy, and it's almost <laughs> like they are just like, "Hey, man, uh, this is actually not as bad as we thought." Is Nick Sirianni is he one and done? Do you think? What is it? You you haven't been too high on him so far, uh, at least what I gathered. What does he need to do uh, to keep uh, coaching in Philadelphia after this year? Well, I think if the players quit on him, that's like, you know, obviously a really bad sign. I don't know if you can recover from that. We haven't seen the sign, any signs of that thus far, I would say. So not currently an issue, but I think that's something that could, you know, will be tested, especially if the team does get off to something like a one and six start. And then obviously if they do something like that, like I, I think a big measure of any head coach in the NFL is how do they respond to adversity and how do they lead a team through adversity? So I'd be curious to see if slash when the Eagles hit a low point, okay, can they bounce back? Do they have anything to them? Does this team any have any resiliency, any resolve? Um, so you look at that, uh, you know, play calling, all that matters too, but I think you kind of look at all that stuff. I think you need to see progress. Like if he's making these same game, game management mistakes that he is in week four, that he is in week 16, week 17, that's another red flag. So I think the Eagles, again, were kind of realistic about what this year was and knew that Nick Sirianni wasn't going to be a finished product. I go back to what Jeffrey Lurie had said to Nick Sirianni upon hiring him. The Eagles released the audio of that call, and Jeffrey Lurie said, quote, unquote, like, I can't wait to see the coach you will become. So I think he's looking for growth and progress. So I don't think it's the most likely thing that he's going to be one and done because I think they know this is kind of a work in progress or that's what they're expecting it to be. Um, but if he doesn't show progress, then he could be out. Let's turn our attention to the offensive line, Cody. I know that's where you're going. Go ahead and get in there. Yeah, I wanted to ask you specifically about a guy that I was once upon a time a very big fan of coming out of college, and that's Andre Dillard. Uh, there's been a bunch of rumors that Andre Dillard may be on the trade block uh, that happened earlier this season. And then, of course, that sends Panther fans' ears a-buzzing because, <laughs> dude, we're, we're trading for everybody right now. Our general manager did not lie when he said that he would be in on every deal. But left tackle is a position that, frankly, we're sorely in need of. Uh, Cam Irving from the Dallas Cowboys has come over, has not been good. We have some rookies that I've been dying to see play, but the coaches don't seem very uh, – high on them so is Andre Dillard a big part of the Philadelphia Eagles future and if there was trade talks about him why was that so and and where is he at right now uh well I definitely think there's a relevant connection here a couple I know uh Eagles former uh front office one of their uh, front office members Taylor Rajak you know is the director of football analytics for the Panthers now and I believe there's another connection there in scouting uh, that the Eagles hired from or sorry the Panthers hired from the Eagles uh, Pat Stewart their vice player president of player personnel so yeah. definitely some connections there uh, worth pointing out uh, definitely the, the Dillard stuff came up because he was really bad in training camp and he's been he was terrible uh, I, so I do a, you know, I have a point system that I, I had with my podcast co-host for BGN Radio, where each day we would give like an MVP point to one of the best players we saw from training camp that day and an LVP to the to the worst. And by far and away, Andre Dillard like won, won or finished at the bottom of the LVP point section. He was really bad. And it's the second year in a row he's had a really bad training camp. Now, he's looked better than expected in these past two starts that he's had to fill in for Jordan my lotta, but I would say with that, like 
when he was going up against the Cowboys, he's not facing like a proven dynamic edge rusher as much as he was facing a 245 pound linebacker playing defensive end because the Cowboys were so banged up on their defensive line. And I'm referring to Micah Parsons there. And then against Same the Chiefs, thing happened to us. Don't feel bad, man. <laughs> Don't well, feel then bad. Against, then against the Chiefs, uh, like Frank Clark is out and their pass rush just isn't any good to begin with and you can that's evidenced in the fact that their defense is terrible and they can't stop anyone so my point being here like Andre Dillard in these past two weeks has he played better than expected yeah that's in part because expectations were so low and I think because like the matchups he's facing were like unusually favorable like you're not going to get that like there's a lot of tough edge rushers you're going to have to face over the course of a season and I think this week if he has to play at left tackle, which we don't know yet because Jordan Mailata was limited in practice, um, he might be able to go. We don't know. We'll see. Honestly, if Mailata is able to go, but Lane Johnson is, isn't because Lane Johnson has been missing time due to this personal matter that we don't really know anything about, then it's not impossible that they could start Dillard at left tackle and Mailata at right tackle. So um, I think Dillard is very much going to be tested in this game by Brian Byrne slash and, or, and or uh Hassan Reddick. I think those guys are much more challenging than anything he's had to face thus far. And I can totally see him getting destroyed. So Andre Dillard might seem like an, a, you know, a, an attractive trade piece right now, but let's just see how Sunday goes before what if we, we uh, destroy it- him and drive <laughs> his stock down and then go mm-hmm. get him because we're ah. so bad. How do you guys, you, you could do tackling? that. <laughs> how do you guys keep getting all these offensive tackles? Like, I don't understand, like, how, I mean, even your backup guards and centers are good. It's just like they just step in and play great. Carolina Panthers can't get their starters to play well. Where do you guys keep going? Where are they? They grow on trees in Philly? I think it's a combination of two things. I think for all of, of his faults, which of which there are many, Harry Roseman has done a good job when it has come to evaluating offensive line prospects. So I give some credit to Howie there. But I also give a lot of credit to Jeff Statlin, the Eagles offensive line coach slash run game coordinator. I mean, just to kind of give you an example of like what this guy, uh, why this guy deserves credit. So last week going into the Chiefs game, the Eagles were preparing Jack Driscoll, who had just come off IR to start at right guard with Landon Dickerson, their rookie second round pick, moving over to left guard. And just two hours before the game, like Lane Johnson, uh, turned out he was out again because of that personal matter. And the Eagles had very short notice on that. So Jack Discroll, who had to prepare at right guard, had to switch over to right tackle on very short notice. And then they put Nate Herbig in there at right guard. And the offensive line did pretty well. Again, they faced a Chiefs pass rush that isn't very good, but they only allowed one sack and I believe only about like four quarterback hits. And they ran the ball pretty efficiently. I think they were about over four, five or four yards per carry. So uh, that's I think that kind of speaks to Jeff Statlin, the, the work he's kind of able to do with those guys and get the best out of them. Sometimes you just have a really good coach who can do that with players. Do you have a problem with the Eagles run game or non-run game or whatever <laughs> pass run game or whatever it is? I don't even know what to call it. Yeah, um, I, I know you're getting that. A lot of people in Philly are complaining about, oh, they're not running the ball enough. Well, against the Cowboys, that was obviously the case because like they ran, what, three times? Miles Sanders touched the ball twice. Like No one would argue that's enough. Now, I don't think if they ran more, they would have beaten the Cowboys. Like It's not, it's not that simple of a correlation. Right. And against the Chiefs, I don't really think that – so 
at the link in Philly, the stadium, uh, people were chanting, run the ball. I think that's kind of silly when you look at how the Eagles didn't punt in the entire game. They're moving the ball just fine. If you want to argue that they didn't run enough in the red zone, like, okay, I think you can make that case. But, like, they didn't need to change their whole philosophy and run more. Like, they were they were getting to the red zone. They just couldn't execute in the red zone. I don't think their red zone issues were just limited to not running the ball. I mean, there were some passing plays where a guy was open and Hurts didn't hit him or Hurts did hit him and they just didn't catch it. Like, that doesn't say you should run the ball to me. It should just, like, you got to make the simple play. I mean, if the, the ball is in your hands, you got to catch it. That's that's not like a run the ball issue. So I think I think that gets a little overstated. I think people think running the ball is, like, this magical thing that fixes everything. Just like people think, like, blitzing is on defense sometimes. It's not. It's not that simple. Well, when you're a run-first team, everybody wants you to pass. And when you're a pass-first team, sure. everybody wants you to run. Uh, are you one of those people, though, that thinks that the um, run game, like the actual running of the football is kind of starting to become antiquated in the NFL and like you can run running plays but still pass the ball? Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts on this new NFL and the run attack? I think like the antiquated view, it's like you have to run, run, run to set up the pass. I think it's kind of the opposite. I think you have to pass, 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 and then run the ball. I mean, that's the ideal setup. You have an elite passing offense. You can get up to a big lead, and then you run the ball, and you bleed the clock, and then you assert your will at that point. Like That's the ideal formula to me. That's what I saw the Eagles do when they won a Super Bowl in 2017. Um, everyone was like, oh, they had such good balance that year. And well, yeah, if you did, you look at the run-pass split, it's really good. But because they were getting out to big leads, and, they were, and then they were able to finish off their opponents by running the ball. I mean, like that to me is the ideal formula. Now, obviously, it's not going to happen every week. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's a place for running the ball. But I don't think it can be your sole identity and you can be a contender that way. I think it's an important part of the game. But it, and it's also, you know, you're also, this is like a big philosophical thing. You're also talking about resources. Like you don't need to invest the number two overall pick in a running back like the Giants did. Like that clearly is not working out well for them. That's not really paying off at all other than maybe their win over the Saints this week. But outside of that, they have the worst record in the NFL since 2017. So, uh, yeah. Do you think that, especially against this against this Panthers defense, do you think it's pivotal or pivotal that the Eagles do rush the football and that they do, um, you know, really try and pound the rock, or do you think that the objective is going to be to get the ball to Devonta Smith, who, by the way, my, that was my number one receiver of this past draft class i liked him better than jamar chase nice give me give me the route runner every day i don't care that he's 175 you have to get your hands on him first and that's difficult to do um but do you think that's the game plan just try and air the ball out or just kind of like you said just have a good mix or do the eagles really need to pound the rock I think the Eagles need to kind of do what they've done where they've been most successful this season, which is against the Falcons and against the Chiefs to an extent. And that's make things favorable for Jalen Hurts in terms of getting the ball out quick. Uh, yes, absolutely target Devontae Smith. You can't do that enough, in my opinion. He is really, really good. He had 10 he targets last week, and it paid off. He had his first 100-plus yard receiving game. Uh, I really don't care who's on him. There's no good excuse to me. Like target, force feed him the ball because he will make good things happen if you keep throwing his way. Uh, I firmly believe that. So uh, I'm looking to be aggressive uh, and and you know 
get the ball to Devontae Smith. I'm not saying abandon the run. I think there's a time and place for that. I think you have to mix it in, uh, and, and especially if you're being efficient with it, continue to do it. But if you're not, then okay, it's maybe you kind of have to, to to adjust. And obviously, you know, great game script and you know all of this matters in that conversation. But uh, I'm a big believer in that. You know, there's a big reason you pay the quarterbacks this top money, and it's not just to run the ball. Uh, and obviously the Eagles aren't paying Hertz big money yet, but they're hoping they can one day. So I want to kind of see him prove himself and he has to be in a position where everything isn't just being perfect for him. And it's super easy. He's going to have to be in a position where he's going to have to make some tough throws. He's going to have to show that he can be a franchise quarterback. So I think you, to some extent, you need to put the game on him, give him some help. But at the end of the day, like he has to go out and win it for you. Do you think that the Eagles would be willing to trade Dillard? And if so, what's the asking price? Um, I don't think so right now because, you know, Johnson's availability, like we don't, we don't know how long, we don't know if he's going to be playing this week or if he's going to be back. We don't know. He's out with his personal matter and there's been like nothing on that. So I don't think right now um, with that and everything going on. And then I don't think they're looking to sell low on him, which I think is kind of a mistake because I think that these games he's had, I don't know that it's really going to get much better than this, but uh, they might be talking themselves into okay, Andre Dillard can be actually our left tackle of the future still, and we'll just move Mylotta over to right tackle long-term. And then we have these two young tackles. I think that is kind of high in the sky. I think that kind of ignores a lot of the struggles that Dillard has had in the past. And I think we'll have moving forward as he continues to face non-easy like easy edge rushers like he has the past two weeks. So I don't think they're looking to move him right now. I think though, if you're if you're making, I don't think they're taking anything less than a three. I would take like a four, maybe even a five, but I think they're looking for at least a three, maybe more. Right on. What are the top storylines for this game for you as an Eagles fan and writer? So I think one of the biggest things that I'd be worried about, other than what I mentioned with the Panthers pass rushers going up against these Eagles tackles, is the coaching mismatch. I really like. Matt Rule, I think he's a very good head coach. I did not want the Giants or the Cowboys to hire him when he was available, and it was rumored that he might. And it, was, it seemed like he was actually, you know, I don't, I'm sure you guys might remember at the time. It seemed like him to the Giants was like this foregone conclusion at one point, and I'm glad it's not because I think he's a really good head coach uh, coming back to or not not coming back to Philly, but obviously Philly ties with the whole Temple thing when he was there, um, and then Joe Brady, you know. It was just, I think, a really good offensive mind. And I think the combination of those two guys going up against the Eagles coaching staff concerns me because I think those guys are really smart and good with game management and good with play calling and everything. And the Eagles are kind of struggling on the end right now, as I touched on with Sirianni and then Jonathan Gannon, too, kind of just having this scheme that is allowing teams to move the ball at will and drop 40 points on them in back-to-back games. Uh, so that's kind of one of the things that I think is almost being under-discussed this week, to kind of the potential coaching mismatch we could see here. Awesome. All right, any last questions, Cody? Up, oh, you're on mute. Or maybe not. Maybe your mic just went out. Uh-oh, you, we lost your audio. Oh, Holy no. Cow. He'll leave him back. All right, uh, Brandon Lee Gouton, tell him how they can find your work. Uh, man, thanks for carving out some time for us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. You can check me out on bleedinggreennation.com. Also, uh, Eagles, that's our Eagles uh, website content, and then we have our podcast content at BGN Radio. Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. Uh, it's good too. Check out me talking about the Panthers and other NFL teams on the SB Nation NFL show where we kind of take more of a national view of things. So I'm on there as well. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon Gow. Can you hear yeah, me now? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. All right. Sorry yes. about that. No, my last very simple question. Do, yeah. you, ex- do you expect 
the Philadelphia Eagles to beat the Carolina Panthers? <laughs> so I like how you're asking this. Do I expect it? No, I don't expect <laughs> it. Do I think okay. it can happen? Okay. Yes. I honestly think this is going to be a very close game. Uh, I was I did a prediction last night, and I had the Panthers winning like by three points. I think it was like 24 to 21. But now I kind of feel like I might be leaning the other way, 24-21. I think it's going to be like a coin flip game that comes down to the end. It What's could come spread? down to – uh, it's like three and a half. So, like the Eagles, I think the Eagles, I think the Eagles cover. I do. I think they just cover at the very least, if not, if not outright win. Okay. Right awesome. on, man. Good awesome. stuff, man. Everybody, go check out Brandon Lee Gowden's work, man. We'll catch up with you uh, hopefully in the future sometime. Peace, guys. Thank you, All Brandon. Right. That is the C three beat check. Right now, we've got we had a good conversation tonight with Eric Summers and as well as uh, Brandon Lee Gowden. Uh, he did not correct me on his name pronunciation, so it must have gotten in the ballpark, or he was like, yeah. get out of it. Eh, close enough. Close enough. <laughs> uh, the Panthers uh, will be playing, will host the Eagles this Sunday. Um, we had a, a lot to say about uh, the Dallas game and, and the state of the Panthers last night on the show, uh, the Tuesday night show. We brought the beat check today. Uh, you you guys, you and CK jumped on uh, when we traded for uh, Stefan Gilmore earlier today. How'd that go? Oh, man, it was incredible. I mean, many of the people in the chat room in here were already there. Edward Moore, James Island Panther, David Screws. By the way, appreciate you, David. I saw the $2 that you donated earlier in the show. We definitely saw it. We definitely appreciate you, brother. Yeah, we did a great show today, man. Had over 200 viewers. Uh, man, it's, it's doing great, man. We had to come on here and react with Panther Nation, man. That's what we do, try and make sure that we're here to react to all the, the biggest news and everything happening in Panther Nation here for the C3 fam. That's what we do, man. And Tony, we're not even done for the night. We got, we got something else we got to drop on them. Yeah, uh, tonight I'm going to be, we just recorded it right before we went uh, live with the C3 Beat Check is uh, week five, debate my take. Uh, is is debuting where Cody and I go head to head and debate a series of uh, topics related to the Carolina Panthers and the NFL. Uh, you can be a part of that show by submitting debate topic suggestions throughout the week on Twitter at cat underscore chronicles using the hashtag C3 debates. And uh, um, that's about it. I think Friday night free for all coming up the post game. I mean, there's still a lot of content uh, coming out on C3 this week and we appreciate all the support here. Uh, upwards of 70 people watch this broadcast. Um, and next week who we got uh, lined up for next week, Nick Carboni, uh, Panthers beat reporter. And I'm trying to track down an, uh, uh, a Vikings guy. I've already started messaging people. Uh, I just got to keep messaging and messaging and messaging. That's it. I just send out a barrage of messages, like kind of like uh, Scott Fitterer, just when he wakes up and he just sends out trade off. You know, does Scott Fitterer just like check the to the waiver wire like every Tuesday, like when he's taking a dump, like on fantasy football and just like hey, to, offer to- a bunch of different trades up and see where it goes? Dude, today Matt Rule said that Scott Fitterer is constantly blowing up his phone. This man didn't lie to us, Tony. When Scott Fitterer said that he would be in on every deal, hey, he has been about it, about it, man. He has really come through. He's been aggressive. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, Tony, we're not used to this. Panther fans are not used to an aggressive general manager 
who's, you know, uh, uh, in the middle of the season, ready to go and get a player on the cheap. And, and not only that, but make a good deal for him. I mean, that's awesome stuff, Tony. I'm loving it. The fans are loving it, man. Uh, we're in a great spot right now. I think uh, one of the, one of the things I, I wish I would have brought up with Eric when he was talking about the sixth round. Like, well, one, we got the conditional pick coming back, the comp pick. Not conditional, the compensation pick if he leaves and we don't re-sign him. So you really just recoup your pick in a way. Like, this is like a no-brainer there. But on top of that is a lot of the movement that we've made in the draft this past year. We had this record number of trades where we acquired these back in what seemed to be, I think, uh, extraneous picks. You're like, oh, man, why? Who cares if we have two sets? You're actually using these back in picks in a valuable way throughout the season. Um, And, you know, now we're going to be looking forward to how. He's going to compensate for not having what a second and a third round pick or something like that. What yeah. are we're missing some picks this year? Yeah, we're missing but a I second, think... second and a third round pick, but we might get those back. Seeing right. how he, he loves to trade down, I mean that seems very reasonable. Yeah, there could be that, or you could couple some, you know, your two six in the fifth round compensation pick, and then get a third or something. Yeah. You know, I don't know, but there is like I don't. Uh, expect us to just have one pick in this draft and then not pick till day three for some reason i just don't see that's how it's going to go down but so like right now i like to see um ultimately we traded dennis daly for um stefan gilmore today if you think about i mean i think dennis daly was a six round round pick you know and that's like like he's like and he's exceeded expectations but you don't ever hit on the six round rarely So I'll take that 10 game. So very exciting stuff. A lot to talk about. We want you to be a part of it. You can call into the weekly show Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. The number is 252-228-5098. That's also the number for the post-game show. We'll be here after the Eagles game, uh, chopping that up Friday. The Friday friend free-for-all is going to be lit. If it's anything, like you said, every Friday, this sucker is popping. I mean, to a point people are taking their clothes off. Uh, I mean, yeah, listen, early on, before there was uh, rules and order established, the Friday free-for-all was a freak-for-all, baby. But listen, dude, every Friday at 7 p.m., that's your show, man. Uh, that's your opportunity to come on the show yourself. Yes, you in person. You can come on here on camera, on screen, with me and the rest of the guys in the Friday free-for-all and tell us what you think about the Carolina Panthers and this football team. Uh, it's fun. We do it every Friday at 7 p.m. That's your show, your opportunity to tell us what you think about the Panthers. And uh, to David Screws, no dono left on red, man. No need for shame. Scott Fitter is building a dynasty in the making. We absolutely agree, man. Um, and, yeah, listen, Tony, we're pumping out more and more content all the time. Uh, the, I think the fans are loving it. I'm loving to do it, man. It's a good time to be a Panthers fan. Good time Let's to be a Panthers Let's make the most fan. of uh, this exciting season, folks. We'll see you on Friday, Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday. In the chat, subscribe, like, uh, be a part of the conversation. Uh, until then, keep pounding. Keep pounding.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.